This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. the Matt Jose up here with us. Um, so Matt leads Gateway Church uh, down in Poole. Uh, he's been a long friend of Howard's uh, since a young man. You can guess how many decades that is. Um, uh, and Matt also uh, is overseeing the UK Advanced Churches, the network we're part of. Uh, I want to speak this morning about uh, being devoted um, on the theme of devotion. There are examples of devotion all around us. You see it in parents. My wife Grace stayed at home because she's devoted to the psychological well-being of our very stressed 18-year-old daughter. Uh, You see it with workers who are devoted to their job. You see it with athletes who are committed to training. You see it to amateur athletes. Uh, uh, Naomi was just telling me about her brother-in-law who's training for an Ironman triathlon and the impact it's having upon him, physically as well as in every other way. People are devoted to their athletic pursuits. People are devoted to their homes. Never-ending renovations and decorating and improving and all the rest. People can be devoted to fun. Where I live in Paul, um, there's a whole load of people who live in Paul because it's a good place to have fun. There's loads of people who've moved down from London, made a bit of money, started a family, come down to the coast, and, and actually that's the whole kind of reason for being there. They're, their primary goal in life is to have as much fun as possible. So you move to Paul, you move near the, near the beach, you buy your VW camper van, you do all that stuff, you get your stand-up paddleboard, that's what you do. You're devoted to fun. People are devoted to all kinds of things. There's a saying, value what you do and do what your value, and what we do does reveal your values and Your actions reveal the things that you actually are devoted to, the things that you really value. And another way maybe to think about this is to not just think about what is it I'm devoted to, but think about it in terms of what makes you twitchy if you can't do it. Because that's probably a good sign of what actually you're devoted to. That that thing, if you you can't do it, if you can't get it done, you start to get a bit (coughs) about about not being able to do it. And uh, it can be all kinds of things, I, I realize. Uh, Howard is making a rude comment about my lawn, the, other, uh, the state of my lawn. But I, I'm, actually, <coughs> I'm actually devoted, I realize I'm devoted to my lawn. And it's not a great lawn because it's not a big area of grass and we've got two dogs and four kids and so the grass doesn't tend to do very well. But I know I sit in my, in my, in my house looking out the window and I know if the grass starts to get a bit long and a bit untidy, I just get really twitchy. And if I can't get out and mow it because I've got too much else on or because it's raining, I, I start to feel really kind of uncomfortable about the state of the grass. And I look out the window and it just makes me feel, ah, which might sound weird if you're not devoted to your lawn. I'm devoted to my lawn. It's weird. <coughs> I know I'm devoted to... I, I really like doing sport and exercise, and I'm devoted to that because I know I get twitchy if I can't do it. On a 
Friday night I was at the gym, Saturday morning went out with some friends, did a bike ride first thing and then came back and did park run afterwards and one of my friends said to me, why do you put yourself through it? And I thought, well it doesn't feel like putting myself through it. Actually I'd be twitchy if I couldn't. Because that's nice, kind of I'm devoted to it. My, my actions reveal actually what my values are. And if you're going to be devoted to something, <coughs> excuse me, you really do want to be devoted to the right things. And <coughs> it might be okay to have a decently mown lawn or <coughs> to enjoy going out for bike rides or whatever, but you really want to be devoted to the things which count both now and, and forever. And that's true for all of us in this room. What, what are you really devoted to? What is it that really you're committed to? What do your actions really reveal about the things that you value? What, what do you get twitchy about if you, if you can't do them? And not just the superficial stuff. What, what really deep things, important things, are you devoted to? That applies to you whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're here and you're not a follower of Christ. What really are you devoted to? What does that reveal about the kind of person you are? What is that going to produce in your life now and in the long haul? And you do want to be devoted to something because to live without devotion isn't really a, worth life, worth, a life worth living. We all need to live for something which is actually worthy of our sacrifice. You want to live for something which is worth giving your time and your energy and your money to. If you haven't got something which you're prepared to give your time and your energy and your money to, you're not really much of a human being. You're not really a full human being if you're not prepared to sacrifice. Being ready and willing to sacrifice actually is a kind of definition of what sets us apart from the animals, that we do that because we know there's something else which deserves that kind of focus. And you might sacrifice your time and your energy and your money to all kinds of things. It might be your house, it might be your kids, it might be fun, it might be your lawn. But is there something really valuable in your life you're devoted to, that you value, that you'd even sacrifice for? If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at what is a foundational passage of Scripture for churches like ours. You could go all around the world and you could ask pastors of churches, what do you want your church to be? And very often they'll, they'll say to you, I want my church to be an Acts 2.42 church. It's kind of an axiomatic passage of scripture which describes the first church in Jerusalem and sets something of a pattern for us as to how church might be. Acts 2 verse 42, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Three things about this passage I want to talk about this morning. It's a, it's a model for us and a challenge for us and also gives us something to dream about. And I want to speak about each of those things. First of all, this is a, a model for us. The book of Acts describes specific 
people in specific places at specific times. And uh, it can be easy to say often the kind of things that we say in churches like these is we say we want to be like the book of Acts. We want our church to be like the church was in the book of Acts. But you can't just take what is said in the book of Acts and kind of map it directly onto our context, our circumstances, because our context, our circumstances are different. First century Jerusalem was very different from 21st century Cheltenham or 21st century Bournemouth and Paul. Our world is different. You can't just copy it across. A good example is the account just before the one I've read, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers gathered in Jerusalem, waiting as Jesus had told them to do. And often you'll hear people say, we want to know the Pentecost experience. We want to be just like the book of Acts. And by God's grace, we know something of that. We know what it is to experience the reality of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us. But I, I don't know anybody who's actually experienced literal tongues of fire appearing on their heads, as happens in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. It's a different season, a different era, a different century, a different context, a different time. This first Christian community was unique. I mean, think about it. This church being described here was the Christian community. There was no wider Christian world. I can go pretty much anywhere in the world, and in multiple countries there are people who I personally know or have connection with who are followers of Christ. And if I go to their country, I could go to them and know that they would look after me and I'd be able to worship with them and be friends with them. There's personal connection there because the church is spread across the world and by God's grace, I'm fortunate to, be, to know many people in many different countries around the world. That wasn't the case for these believers. There were no other Christians anywhere in the world apart from in Jerusalem. Wherever they went in the world, they would be, there wasn't anybody to go to. They were it. There was no Christian history. Think about our world, our context, our culture, that even in our so-called post-Christian culture, you just walk through Cheltenham and there's evidence of Christian history everywhere. It's church buildings, which are obviously church buildings. There's all kinds of physical artefacts which speak about 2,000 years of Christian history, Christian influence. It's all around us. They didn't have any of that. There are no Christian symbols, no Christian signs, no Christian buildings as such. There was no Christian theology. The shelves of, in my, uh, in my office with all our books, I can pick off volumes from the shelves which give me 2,000 years of thinking and writing about all kinds of issues. I want to know, how should I think about this issue? How can I understand what the Bible says about this? I've got 2,000 years of Christian theology to go to and learn from and read from. They didn't have that. There was no wider Christian world. There was no Christian history. There was no Christian theology. It was them. They were it. But these were people who had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that there were more than 500 of the brothers and sisters who saw Jesus after his death, after his resurrection, before his ascension back into glory. 500 of them. And that 500, that number was swelled on the day of Pentecost as thousands were added in response to the preaching of Peter and the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out. But it's almost impossible for us to imagine that there were no Christians in the world apart from these few thousand here in Jerusalem. And so it's a bit of a category mistake actually to say we want to be just like the book of Acts. We can't be. 
Our world is so different. Our history is so different. Everything we have is so different. It's just not possible. The book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes for us how things were. It doesn't prescribe for us how we should be. But this community in Jerusalem does give us a model. It gives us a model. It gives us things to, to learn from. It gives us things to emulate. It gives us things to aspire to. We're not to say we should do it exactly the same. Our experience should be exactly the same. It can't be. But there are things here from which we're meant to learn. There are things which we're meant to try and emulate. There are things which are a model for us. And what it says about this first community of Christians is that they were a people who were devoted. Why was it they were devoted to the things they were devoted to? It was because they had experienced this transforming action of the Holy Spirit at work in them. This is where it begins. It begins with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which enables them to see Christ for who he is. Now, 500 of them had seen Christ literally resurrected, but when they're filled with power by the Holy Spirit, suddenly they see all that Jesus is for them and for the world. It transforms them. The Spirit is poured out. The church begins. The gospel goes forth. Everything is different. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit has to be our starting point and has to be our constant reference point. We need to know the ongoing experience reality of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. It's not going to be exactly as it was in the book of Acts. It can't be. Different era, different century, different context. But we need to know the reality of God's Holy Spirit working amongst us. The reality of the encounter these first Christians had with the Holy Spirit totally reoriented them. It changed their devotions meant they were suddenly not so worried about their lawns or about fun or about their houses. They were devoted to some different things because the Spirit of God was at work amongst them. And there's these things which are listed that they were devoted to, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, these four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now this is amazing. They'd had this transforming of experience of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon this Little company gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. They'd had tongues of fire appear on their heads. They'd gone out to speak in other languages, which weren't just kind of unknown languages, but which were the languages of the nations. It was an amazing gospel declaration. Peter stood up and preached, and 3,000 responded, got baptized that day. An extraordinary experience of the Holy Spirit. And so you might expect the passage here to say they devoted themselves to experiences of the Holy Spirit. That's not what it says. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now why is that? Why were they devoted to teaching? I think it was because they were hungry to learn. They were hungry for the truth. And Bible teaching is how you grow. It's how you get strong. It's how you get clear as a Christian about the things you're to believe and know and understand. Sometimes in, in, in my history as a Christian we've had times when God has been particularly moving amongst us and we've, we've enjoyed a special encounters with the Holy Spirit but sometimes that's led to kind of an imbalance where people have said kind of the mark of a good me- meeting is where you never get to open the Bible. It was such a great meeting we never even opened the Bible. Now that's a fail. 
<laughs> that's not a mark of success, that's actually a mark of failure. Because the apostles' teaching to which these first Christians were devoted is now what is contained for us in the Bible. Those first Christians had no history of Christian theology, but they had what we call the Old Testament. They would have unpacked all that the Old Testament taught about Jesus, all that it revealed about what was to happen. That's what they would have been teaching from. And then the teachings of the apostles are contained for us in what we call the New Testament. This is the Word of God to us. This is the apostles' teaching. This is the apostolic message. This is how you grow. This is how you get clear. This is how you get strong through the Word of God. You've got your week in the words coming up. Well done. I'd encourage you to be devoted in that week. You might say, well, I can't really have my lawns looking really shaggy and needs mowing. And if I don't get out for a bike ride, I'm going to get really twitchy. Be devoted to the Word. Be devoted to the Word. It's why we do what we're doing now. It's why, I mean, why on earth would you come and sit down and spend 35 minutes listening to somebody talking, monologue? because you want to grow in the Word. It's an extraordinary thing actually we do. There's hardly anywhere else in, in Western society this now happens where people kind of submit themselves in this way just to sit and listen. But what we believe is that the Word is alive and active and Christ by His Holy Spirit is at work amongst us and even as I speak by God's grace. Yeah. Even the limitations of my words as we open up Scripture somehow God is here and it's not just a one-way process. God is at work. This is a two-way interaction. Actually, a three-way interaction. It's you and me, and it's God at work amongst us. Be devoted to the Word. It's not just Sundays. It's throughout the week. Be devoted to the Word. So sometimes people say to me, well, I, don't really, I really struggle to read the Bible. I'm, just, I'm not a reader. I'm not academic. And that might be true. It's probably less true in Cheltenham than in most places. But the thing I've noticed is that everybody is capable of, of learning and remembering the stuff that they're devoted to. That's why you can find a guy who can tell you the result of every FA Cup match for the last 25 years. Why? Because he's devoted to football. That's why you can have a grandmother with 25 grandchildren and nieces and nephews and she never forgets her birthday. Why? Because she's devoted to her family. It's much less about aptitude and much more about attitude. It's about your heart. Actually, one of the dangers for those of us who have an aptitude for reading, I mean, I, I like reading, I, I've always enjoyed reading for, for pleasure as well as, as for work. I, I just read. I, again, if I'm sitting at breakfast and I haven't got something to read, I've got a twitchy, I need something to read. Read the back of the cereal packet, just read something. <laughs> Actually, it, for, for, for those of us who have an aptitude for reading, it's... Part of the danger is we can actually become much more pharisaical about reading the Bible because it's easier for us. And so we sit down, we know we've got our passage to read that day and we just read it in about 30 seconds, right? Tick that off the list and it's done nothing actually in our hearts. It might be that if you struggle to read, you're less likely to be a Pharisee because actually the process of doing it is going to take more labour on your part. You're going to have to go slower. It's about attitudes much more than aptitude. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to being together, to genuine body life. Why? Because choosing Christ Jesus had cost them. This was their new family. 
They'd had to turn their backs on their culture, probably in many cases on their literal uh, flesh and blood families, in order to follow Christ. They'd paid the price to follow Jesus, and they were committed, devoted to this new fellowship. Now, we need to work out how to work out fellowship. And we live in a very different world from these first Christians. Our social structures are very different. We don't tend to live in such close physical proximity as probably they did. Uh, We work in different parts of town or different parts of the country. We're much more kind of scattered. But would people looking into the church from outside honestly say about God First Cheltenham or Gateway Church Paul, they're devoted. I think sometimes, sometimes speaking about my own church, I think sometimes we do things really well. I think when a mum has a new baby and a meal rotor is organised the next month, something like that, and as people outside say, wow, this is amazing, you're devoted to one another. The health is to say, wow, this is incredible. Sometimes it shows. But how are we working out what it is to be devoted to fellowship together? They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Why? Because it was Christ's command. He commanded his disciples before the events of the cross. He said, when you eat and drink, do this in memory of me. Think about all that the bread and wine represents. We've got the bread and wine here. We're going to be having communion a little bit later on. There's things which this represents. It represents our thanksgiving. It's the moment we come and we thank Jesus for what he's done for us, his death on our behalf on the cross. It's a moment when we come and think about our unity, that we are united now with Christ. We're joined with Christ and therefore we're joined with one another. We're, We're a body, we're a people connected together organically through Christ and with all followers of Jesus now and through all history and in all places in all times. Celebrate our unity. We come together and we take the bread and the wine and we celebrate the presence of Jesus, that Jesus actually really is here in this room. And we take the bread and the wine, which are a little physical symbol of that, but which, as we take it as a statement, it's an enacted faith. We're saying, yes, we believe, Jesus, you're here. We're coming to you to receive from you. It's a meal of remembrance. We remember what Jesus did. We remember the cross. We remember his sufferings. It's a meal of proclamation. We proclaim that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ is coming again. Yes, we take the bread and the wine into us as a statement of faith again. We proclaim these things as true. It's a moment of examination. Look into our own hearts. Are there things in me which are not right? Are there things between me and my brothers and sisters which are not right? Are there things I need to put right as I come to Christ, as he has received me? Are there things I need to do in order to receive others in a way in which I'm not? And so we come to the bread and the wine, we come to the table and it does us good. That's why they were devoted to it. It does us good. And they were devoted to prayer. Why? Because prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is where the stuff happens. Abby was saying about this evening, or prayer and worship evening tonight, it's good to be devoted to those things because when we gather, we worship, we pray, that's where the stuff happens. We encounter God, we fellowship with him. He hears our our requests. He speaks to us. And these believers knew their need. Do we? When I was here 
two and a half years ago, I was speaking about the priority of prayer and talked about how we need to see prayer not as a spare wheel, but as the steering wheel. The thing which we hold on to, which directs us in life, not the thing we just have in the back of the car in case of emergency and hope we never ever have to use. These believers are devoted to prayer. There are good reasons for not praying. Good reasons for not turning up at prayer and worship gatherings. There's lots of good reasons for not praying. You've got loads on, you're busy, you're committed, you've got all kinds of stuff happening in your life. There's a list as long as, you, as, long as your arm why you can't pray. But to be honest, there are far more bad reasons for not praying than there are good ones. These first Christians were devoted to prayer. Now all this sets a pattern for us, this, this model of devotion to the teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread to press, it's a model for us. There's also a challenge for us in this. There's a challenge about this community. There's a challenge because what is described here describes something which just seems to be at a a higher level than our experience so often is of what church life is like. It's a higher level. It says that awe came upon them all. Awe. Sometimes I think, well, where is that? In my experience, my experience of church, where's the sense of awe? Are people in my town kind of looking on at what's happening in my church and being struck by awe? Not very often, to be honest. It says that many signs and wonders were done by the <coughs> apostles. Many! Now, again, by the grace of God, sometimes we pray for people and we see things happen. We see signs and wonders. We experience answered prayer. We pray for particular tangible things and they happen. We need to raise a whole shed load of money and we think, how is this possible? We take up an offering and it happens. And we go, that's amazing. How did that happen? And sometimes we pray for the sick and normally they're not healed, but sometimes they are. And we go, yes, a healing. We got one. But it says here, many signs and wonders. Wow. And there's this radical community living that they're so devoted to one another, so devoted to the fellowship that, I mean, it's extraordinary what's described here. They, anybody in need, they sell their stuff. Get some money. Help one another out. There's a, there's a, a radical community living, which isn't an enforced communism. It's not demanded of them, but because they've found something to be devoted to, they're just willingly, gladly doing it. It's extraordinary. And there's this daily encounter with God and with one another, daily. They're going to the temple, the central place of worship, and meeting in one another's homes. They're meeting with God and meeting with each other all the time. It's like, wow, this radical community life. Now, context. Remember, this is a model for us. It's not a direct map. It's description, not prescription. We can't expect to have exactly the same experiences as they did. But I think we should feel the challenge of it. It's good to ask ourselves some honest questions. Where are we at? God First Church, where are you at? Sometimes there's a a good report about what God is doing in the church. There's a good report about the kind of devotion that is being displayed. There's a Good report, but other times probably the report could be, could do better. I know that's certainly the case for me. I know that's the case for my church. So many things to celebrate, so many things to be thankful for, but at times our devotion, the challenge of this passage is strong. Now challenge is 
different from condemnation. We shouldn't read this passage and feel condemned by it. I think it's easy to do that. You read this description of their devotion and you can kind of feel, ah, we're just a million miles from this and you can feel condemned by that. And of course that's not at all the purpose. It's not the purpose of the scripture and it's not the purpose of what I want to do this morning. We shouldn't feel condemnation, but we should feel challenged. Where do we need to step up? How devoted are we to the teaching? How devoted are we to fellowship? How devoted are we to the breaking of bread? How devoted are we to, to prayer? How often are we doing things just to going through the motions? How often is it like a pharisaical Bible reading? You're just ticking it off the list as fast as you can, getting it done. Kind of, that's it. I'm settled with God for the day. Where do we need to step up? Where do we feel the challenge? How, we, how might we follow the pattern of this first church? a little bit more closely. What are our expectations? What are our expectations of God and his working in us? Is our, is our expectation of God, maybe has it got a little shrunk? Is it a little bit too small? Do we not really expect much from God? What are our expectations of ourselves? Are we inclined just to Always cut ourselves some slack, always take it a little bit easy, always sit back a little bit further. Are there places where we need to feel the challenge, places where we need to step up, places where we need to push into more of a devotion that's described here? How might we, how might you, how might God First Church more closely follow the pattern which is described here? Not exactly the same, can't be. Different context, different era different place there's a model for us which gives a challenge to us when should we be asking more of God are we asking enough of God are we asking enough of him there's a, a model here and there's a challenge here and, and that where that brings me to is this sense of a dream what are we dreaming for what are we asking God for says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now again, it's a unique situation. 21st century Cheltenham is not 1st century Jerusalem. It's, it's different. It is different. It's description, not prescription. We shouldn't say we want to be exactly as they were. That's foolish. We can't be. But surely we can dream a little. Why not in our day? Oh God, why not in our day something a bit more like this? Lord, why not a bit more like this? I, I think there's a lot. I, I'm just driving up here this morning and as we're worshipping, I'm thinking about particular individuals who, think about some individuals who've known something of the grace of God and then seem to have fallen away and thinking about those who've never known the grace of God and I'm thinking, come on Lord, surely just want to dream a little about what it might be like for those people, naming them before God to, to fully grasp the pearl of great price, to become fully devoted, to get into the thing. Come on, let's dream a little. So at a, at a party last night for a neighbour of ours and some people who got to know reasonably well over the last few years, but it's a kind of a hard crowd. He, he's a special forces guy. We've got special forces based in Paul, and, and you, know, you guys who work at GCHQ, that's kind of strange world of the 
security services at that kind of level, and most of the guys there are special forces soldiers, and their girlfriends and wives all look exactly the same, very blonde. <laughs> and it's kind of, I went there with my wife and my 18-year-old, my and we kind of stood there looking for somebody to talk to, and everybody else is in their little tight groups, and thinking, I was there looking for people to talk to, and thinking, come on, just dream, what would it be like in that upper room in a conservative club in Paul, function room? What would it be like for the Spirit of God to fall in this place? What would it be like, God, what would it be like for you to move in this place and for this bunch of tough men and women to be encountered by the living God and have their devotions transformed? Why not? Let's dream. Daily salvation. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who are being saved. I mean, the, the need is there. 21st century Charlton, 21st century Paul is not 1st century Jerusalem, but God knows the need is here. The streets are full of people who don't know Jesus. The houses next to you are full of people who don't know Jesus. Your workplaces are full of people who don't know Jesus. The need is there. The harvest is still whitened to harvest. The Lord was adding to their number every day. But let's dream a little. And this passage helps me to dream. The Lord was adding to the number day by day. One of the things we pray for in my church is, Lord, baptism every month. I mean, it's pretty modest, a baptism every month, 12 a year. How about a baptism every week? How about baptizing 50 people in a year? What would that be like? How about baptizing somebody every day? How about 365 baptisms in a year? What would that be like? And why not? I mean, are there 365 unsaved people in Cheltenham? Probably. Why not? Let's dream, let's dream. I was in a gathering a couple of weeks back with pastors from across the town, and it's interesting, the conversation kind of turned to focusing on, upon discipleship, and a whole number of them kind of independently have been struck by how they've probably been focusing far too much on bums and seats and not enough about the quality of people's hearts and lives and discipleship and how the Lord has drawing them to lean more into that and one of the guys, the guy who started a church in our town just recently in Bournemouth but it's grown very fast and he said, in a year's time if we were half the size but twice the commitment that would be success and we all said, yes, that's right more devotion and then I thought about it a little bit more and I thought, well, it's a yes but, it's always good to get a big but in, and there's a big but there, it's a Yes, if we were twice, half the size, but twice the commitment, that would be success. But yes, but here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, you seem to have both. You've got extraordinary devotion, and you've got people being added daily to their number. Lord, why not in our day? Why not in Paul and Bournemouth in our day? Why not in Cheltenham in our day? Why not in Gloucester in our day? Why not in Bristol and Southampton and London and... Liverpool and Glasgow. Why not in our day, Lord? Why not in our nation? It happens here, Jerusalem, first century. It's different from the world now. But why not, Lord? The harvest is there. The need is there. People don't know Jesus. Maybe the two go together. Maybe more devotion and more addition actually go together. Maybe they do. What might we be as a church? This is what I start to dream of about my church and dream about here as well, what might we be? What might God first Cheltenham be? What kind of community might you be? What kind of witness might you be? What kind of place where the Spirit of God is 
evidently powerfully at work might you be? What kind of devoted people might you be? What kind of growing people might you be? What kind of salvation factory people might you be? What could God first Cheltenham be? Our friend PJ Smythe talks about the book of Acts in terms of let's do it again. The book of Acts describes a 30-year history of that first church. Holy Spirit poured out day of Pentecost. 30-year history. This is what happened. Jerusalem, <coughs> Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The gospel spreading out rapidly across the whole Mediterranean area. Church has been started in town after town after town. Little companies of Christians becoming bigger companies of Christians. New churches starting. Yes. Let's do it again. Why not? Why not in my town? Why not in your town? What might we do in the next 30 years? What might God First Church do in the next 30 years? What could be here in 30 years' time as a consequence of the grace of God, the activity of His Holy Spirit, and the devotion of His people? A model, a challenge, a dream. Let's do it again. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.